Hi everyone. <clears throat> I thought for to uh, for today that I would try to. I've noticed that a lot of the podcasts I've been doing have been a little bit older, and I I like doing it that way because there's so many speeches. It's easy to forget about some of the great speeches of our history, but I don't. I also want to talk about more modern speeches as well, and not just focused on war and things like that. Although there seems to be great gems in those in those moments where there is tragedy. Um, however. I thought that today I'll I'll go on a little bit more of the modern lane um, and wanted to talk a little of uh, Steve Jobs and his commencement speech to Stanford in 2005. Now, we know the story of Steve Jobs. We know that there's a lot of background there and a lot was achieved in a very short period of time through his entrepreneurship and his vision. And he got he gets credited for being a visionary, and I suppose that's what he was. He wasn't really the technician, and that in and of itself is something that should be studied and understood. Um, however, today I'll I'll start reading through um, his speech that he gave in two thousand and five, um, and and I'll give some commentary along the way as I go. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I I know I enjoy reading through. Uh, reading through his speech, and um, and there's a lot of little lessons to be learned as we go. Okay, here we go. I am honoured to be with you today at your commencement from one of the finest universities in the world. I never graduated from college. Truth be told, this is the closest I've ever gotten to a college graduation. Today I want to tell you three stories from my life. That's it. No big deal. Just three stories. Just cut. <laughs> I promise not to cut too much into the speech, but I've got to mention this. See, what he's doing here at the beginning of his speech, um, and it's clever really, is he, you know when you're speaking to a crowd of people, there's a lot of barriers that people have when you say certain words or you start speaking in a, in a particular way. And they'll, there could be a large portions of the, of the audience that just isn't listening for big chunks of your talk because they shut off when they hear certain things. And so by saying at the beginning of his speech, I just want to tell you three stories of his life, you know, the audience goes from putting up walls and defences. I mean, they might be, they may not be able to listen, you know, don't want to be lectured to or be taught something, but listen to a story, easy. You know, by, by him saying that at the beginning of his speech, it's easy to listen to a story. Chances are no walls have gone up from the whole audience and now he has their attention. Or at least he doesn't have, he's not fighting against some defense. So he's just taken that away and he's now able to get into his speech. So I'll continue on. The first story is about connecting the dots. I dropped out of Reed College after the first six months, but then stayed around as a drop-in for another 18 months or so before I really quit. So why did I drop out? It started before I was born. My biological mother was a young, unwed college graduate student, and she decided to put me up for adoption. She felt very strongly that I should be adopted by college graduates. So everything was all set for me to be adopted at birth by a lawyer and his wife. Except that when I popped out, they decided at the last minute that they really wanted a girl. So my parents, who were on a waiting list, got a call in the middle of the night asking, we have an unexpected baby boy, do you want him? They said, of course. My biological mother later found out that my mother had never graduated from college and that my father had never graduated from high school. She then refused to sign the final adoption papers. 
She only relented a few months later when my parents promised that I would someday go to college. And 17 years later, I did go to college. But I naively chose a college that was almost as, ex- as expensive as Stanford. And all of my working class parents' savings were being spent on my college tuition. After six months, I couldn't see the value in it. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and no idea how college was going to help me figure it out. And here I was spending all the money my parents had saved their entire life. So I decided to drop out and trust that it would all work out okay. It was pretty scary at the time, but looking back, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. The minute I dropped out, I could stop taking the required classes that didn't interest me and begin dropping in on one of the ones that looked interesting. It wasn't all romantic. I didn't have a dorm room, so I slept on the floor in a friend's rooms. I returned Coke bottles for the five cent deposits to buy food with, and I'd walk the seven miles across town every Sunday night to get one good meal a week at the Hare Krishna temple. Okay, just stop. So this is an important lesson from Jobs just here in this story. You see, freedom comes at a cost. So initially, he tells the story he's bound by classes in university and a pathway that's been chosen. Um, so he's, he's it's almost imprisoned by that decision. His time's taken up everything. And then once he decides it's not right for him, he can then do whatever he wants. But what is that exactly? All of a sudden, this is the cost. He's free, but it's like, now what? It's, it's kind of like slaves being freed you know hooray the, the, the slaves are free but now they got to wander around in the wilderness while they figure out the next step for how long for how many years before uh things get better they got to figure out where the food that they're going to look after each other where they're going to go so freedom is a wonderful thing but it's not easy and this is what steve jobs faces as he moves forward in his progression i'll carry on i loved it And much of what I stumbled into by following my curiosity and intuition turned out to be priceless later on. Let let me give you one example. Reed College at that time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. Throughout the campus, every poster, every label on every drawer was beautifully hand calligraphied. Because I had dropped out and didn't have to take the normal classes, I decided to take a calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans-serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, about what makes great typography. It was beautiful, historical, artistically subtle, in a way that science can't capture, and I found it fascinating. None of this had even a hope of any practical application in my life. But 10 years later, when we were desiring the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me and we designed it all into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. If I had ever never dropped in, if I had never dropped in on that single course in college, the Mac would have never had multiple typefaces or proportionally spaced fonts. And since Windows just copied the Mac, it's likely that no personal computer would have them. If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on this calligraphy class and personal computers might not have the wonderful typography that they do. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college. But it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. 
you can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down and it has made all the difference in my life. Just stop quickly, cut the talk. It's another important lesson. Do not agonize on how the future is going to look. Hindsight can only be achieved on looking backwards. So in other words, you've got to have faith. And faith is an action word which demonstrates that belief by action. It's the only way. And so like he said, you have to trust in something and go for it. And that's what you can lean on. Okay, carrying on. My second story is about love and loss. I was lucky. I found what I loved to do early in life. Was and I started Apple in my parents' garage when I was 20. We worked hard, and in 10 years, Apple had grown from just the two of us in a garage into a $2 billion company with over 4,000 employees. We had just released our finest creation, the Macintosh, a year earlier, and I had just turned 30. And then I got fired. How can you get fired from a company you started? Well, as Apple grew, we hired someone who I thought was very talented to run the company with me, and for the first year or so, things went well. But then our visions of the future began to diverge, and eventually we had a falling out. When we did, our board of directors sided with him. So at 30, I was out, and very publicly out. What had been the focus of my entire adult life was gone, and it was devastating. I really didn't know what to do for a few months. I felt that I'd let the previous generation of entrepreneurs down, down, that I'd dropped the baton as it was being passed to me. I met with David Packard and Bob Noyce and tried to apologize for screwing up so badly. I was a very public figure, failure, and I even thought about running away from the valley. But something slowly began to dawn on me. I still loved what I did. The turn of events at Apple had not changed that one bit. I had been rejected, but I was still in love, and so I decided to start over. I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again, less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. Okay, I think it's important that we stop the, stop the speech just quickly. This is a great lesson from Jobs again on choosing how you want to live and then live it no matter the consequences. Even if you lose everything, you'll still get up tomorrow, create a schedule and move forward because this is what you've decided how you're going to live. This is how you decide you're going to live your life. This is how you're going to gain purpose and joy no matter what is happening around you. This will help you stand when you fall as well. So you can enjoy progress and and uh, even joy in the face of complete adversity and loss um, because you make the decision, and an important decision. I'll carry on. During the next five years, I started a company named Next, another company named Pixar, and fell in love with an amazing woman who would become my wife. Pixar went on to create the world's first computer animated feature film, Toy Story, and is now the most successful animation studio in the world. In a remarkable turn of events, Apple bought Next, I returned to Apple, and the technology we developed at Next is at the heart of Apple's current res uh, renaissance. And Laureen and I have a wonderful family together. 
I'm pretty sure none of this would have happened if I hadn't been fired from Apple. It was awful tasting medicine, but I guess the patient needed it. Sometimes life hits you in the head with a brick. Don't lose faith. I'm convinced that the only thing that kept me going was that I loved what I did. You've got to find what you love, and that is as true for your work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of of the heart, you'll know when you find it. And like any great relationship, it just gets better and better as the years roll on. So keep looking until you find it. Don't settle. Cut talk quickly. There's that word again, faith. You don't know how much faith you have until it's tried and tested. The greater the test, the greater the faith. Right? So, um, and the greater the faith, the greater the so-called miracle from a religious point of view. Not that this is religious, but that's how it works in the religious uh, doctrines around the world. So in this example, the miracle would be the career and the business of jobs. So in other words, if you were to use the same thing, the question might be, do you believe that you're worthy of success in all areas of life? And if so, prove it. How much faith do you really have? And show us. That can only be done through your actions. What risks will you take? How will you pursue the your um, goals? And these are all just illustrations of your faith. So strengthen your faith. And how do you do that? Well, you strengthen your faith by exercising it just like you would anything else, by study and researching and looking and trying to find what the goal is. What is the cause? And that's what Jobs did. You know, once he was re- removed, he moved forward. Um, okay. Uh, I'll carry on with the speech. We're almost there now. My third story is about death. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it was your last, Sunday, you'll most certainly be right. It made an impression on me, and since then, for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. Cut speech. Uh, perspective is very important. This is Steve Jobs is teaching us this here. Without perspective, it can be hard to see the forest from the trees. You you can be so focused on the issues from today that you'll lose out on all the opportunities just out of sight. So he's saying death is a good way to step out of get and get perspective, and it's true. Um, and so you've got to find ways to to gain perspective, however that is. And this is one example that he uses. I'll carry on. About a year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had the scan at 7.30 in the morning, and it clearly showed a tumor on my pancreas. I didn't even know what a pancreas was. The doctors told me this was almost certainly a type of cancer that that is incurable, and that I should expect to live no longer than three to six months. My doctor advised me to go home and get my affairs in order, which in doctor's code... which is doctor's code for prepared to die. 
It means to try and tell your kids everything you thought you'd have the next 10 years to tell them in just a few months. It means to make sure everything is buttoned up so that it will be easy as possible for your family. It means to say your goodbyes. I live with that diagnosis all day. Later that evening, I had a biopsy where they struck, where they stuck an, uh, an endoscope down my throat, through my stomach and into my intestines, put a needle into my pancreas and got a few cells from the tumour. I was sedated, but my wife, who was there, told me that when they viewed the cells under the, micro- under the microscope, the doctors started crying because it turned out to be a very f- rare form of pancreatic cancer that is curable with surgery. I had the surgery and I'm fine now. This was the closest I've been to facing death and I hope it's the closest I get for a few more decades. Having lived through it, I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty than when death was a useful but purely intellectual concept. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it and that is as it should be. Because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what, what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. Just cut speech quickly. I've got some thoughts here on this. And the question I have is, is what is the value of time? Think of your most amazing experience, you know, whether that's a birth of a child, a wedding, climbing a mountain, traveling the world... I don't know, maybe it was just one night when all the cares of the world just disappeared and, and you had a particular feeling or, or some night with a friend, whatever. What would you be willing to pay to go back and just experience that moment again? What would you pay for that experience right now if I could give it to you? Or do you think um, if, you, if, you, if an extremely wealthy person on his deathbed or her deathbed were laying there, uh, what do you think they would pay for one more year of healthy living if you could give it to them? A hundred dollars? A thousand bucks? A million? Or what if you were to offer that rich person 50 years of life? What would they pay? Would they give everything just to have that time? So the question again is, what is the value of your time? And if it is valuable, how will you spend it? And that's, that perspective is important. Because if time truly is valuable, um, it should be cherished and used efficiently, or at least on the right things. I'll carry on. When I was young, there was an amazing publication called the Whole Earth Catalogue, which was one of the Bibles of my generation. It was created by a fellow named Stuart Brand, not far from here in Menlo Park, and he brought it to life with his poetic touch. This was in the late 1960s before personal computers and desktop publishing, so it was all made with typewriter scissors and Polaroid cameras. It was sort of like Google and paperback form 35 years before Google came along. It was idealistic and overflowing with neat tools and great notions. Stuart and his team put out several issues of the Whole Earth catalogue, and then when it had run its course, they put out the final issue. It was the mid-1970s and I was your age. 
On the back cover of their final issue was a photograph of an early morning country road, the kind you might find yourself hitchhiking on if you were so adventurous. Beneath it were the words, Stay hungry, stay foolish. It was their farewell message as they signed off. Stay hungry, stay foolish. And I have always wished that for myself. And now, as you graduate to begin anew, I wish that for you. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Thank you all very much. End speech. I'm not sure I can add much more to Steve Jobs' words except maybe a few things. I mean, I've made some commentary along the way and I enjoyed his speech. It's a great speech. Um, one important note is that if you don't know, obviously, eventually Steve Jobs dies from pancreatic cancer in 2011. And I just wonder, whilst he couldn't escape death and none of us can or the difficulty of it, I just wonder how his perspective helped lessen the pain of the death or lessened, take the edge off the tragedy. I mean, how much worse would he have suffered if he didn't have faith in humanity and and his cause and and didn't have the mindset he had? How much suffering would uh, his family have experienced if he hadn't done what he'd done? How much worse would it have been if he was bitter and and guarded instead of of open and learned and, and, and didn't have all the things he had? And that can apply to us. How much suffering can you overcome now just by understanding the importance of perspective and love and loss? that Steve Jobs is talking about. And secondly, the question I I suppose you could pose is what would have been the impact if Jobs didn't have faith in himself and seek out what he loved? What if he couldn't hold on to his perspective? What would have been the consequence of of him not doing that? Um, And then you can, you know, ask the question, what are the people around you missing out on if you're not exercising faith in your own cause and you're not exercising those same things? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to risk everything now, but you should be making progress towards your goal and growing um, on some kind of trajectory. And so, and if you're not, then what are you missing out on? And what could you be if you did follow those um, those lessons? Anyway, um, thanks for tuning in. I, um, as always, I did enjoy this, and I hope to try to apply some of these words of wisdom, I suppose, in my own life. And appreciate, give all the respect to Steve Jobs for what he accomplished, um, and and look forward again speaking next week. See you guys.